Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. What's up, everybody? I am Drew, the other co-host. Hey, hey, welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We want to uh, welcome you to our podcast as we talk about something uh, a little different today. Uh, you know, we're deviating from, you know, our regular scheduled events to, you know, just d- dive deep into comics and bring you guys a little bit of exposure to a comic that you wouldn't necessarily come across uh, on a daily basis. Uh, we wanted to discuss something I'm going to try out right here, uh, a hashtag indie inclination. How's that sound to you? What do you think of that? Uh, what do you think of that? Independent I mean, I, inclination? I guess, I guess you can start tagging our posts with that. Sure. Yo, yo, yo. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Like and subscribe, y'all. Indie inclinations hashtag. <laughs> no? <laughs> Too much? I, I, I will follow your lead. Uh, you take command of that movement, and I will be your faithful lieutenant. <laughs> Let's see if we can get that trending. We, if we can get a new segment for ourselves, where you know we talk about independent comics, and uh, you know, just again, just something that you wouldn't necessarily come across uh, in your daily routine. So, today's comic that we're going to discuss is entitled year of the rabbit it's uh well i'll just go into the synopsis and uh the background of the creator uh is that cool with you take it away okay so i'm just gonna read what uh drawn in quarterly has drawn in quarterly is publisher here and it's uh year of the rabbit tells the true story of one of of one family's desperate struggle to survive the murderous reign of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia in 1975. The Khmer Rouge seized power in the capital city of Phnom Penh. Immediately after declaring victory in the war, they set about evacuating the country's major cities with the brutal, ruthless, with the brutal ruthlessness and disregard for humanity that characterized the regime ultimately responsible for the death of one million citizens. It's created by the cartoonist Tian I, okay, I'm, I'm not good at pronunciation, uh, so I'm going to try my best here. So, you know, if you're from that region and I'm butchering it, then I apologize in advance. But the cartoonist is Tien Vesna, and um, he was born just three days after the Khmer Rouge takeover as his family set forth on the chaotic mass exodus from Phnom Penh. Uh, Year of the Rabbit is based on first-hand accounts, all told from the perspective of his parents and other close relatives. Stripped of any money or material possessions, Vesna's family found themselves exiled to the barren countryside, along with thousands of others, where food was scarce and brutal violence was a constant threat. How's that sound to you, Drew? How does it sound to be... Exiled to the barren countryside with thousands of others where food was scarce and brutal violence was a constant threat. I, I just meant, how did my uh, description of, or how did Drawn and Quarterly's description of oh, it sound okay. like? Was there anything you wanted to add? Oh, okay. You you definitely uh, <laughs> took me aback because I thought you were asking me the hard-hitting qu- question uh, right off the bat there. A hard-hitting rhetorical <laughs> question that... I really didn't know how to respond to, but if you're just asking me, 
if I thought Drun and Quarterly's summation of the book <laughs> was on point, then I would have to agree that, yeah, it was a good summary. And this is a comic that is, it's a nonfiction book, a nonfiction account about Tian Viesna's family. Uh, he's in the book himself, but he's really just, you know, a baby or a toddler through throughout most of the events. But uh, as far as all the things that they had to go through in the wake of the Cambodian Civil War, it's a story that really depicts how harrowing the whole ordeal was. It's mm. something that's going to make your stomach churn and... Mm. Uh, it's a heavy story, I would say, which is yeah interesting yeah. when you just glance at the art because his art doesn't necessarily scream uh, darkness or anything too frightening or or brutal. For the most part, yeah. his his art and like the way it's colored and the his line work, it's it's actually a pretty inviting story and it's it's very easy to read. It's just that the events that he depicts are so brutal and and harsh. Yeah. So that's I think that's what yeah. that's one of the things that immediately jumps out. Uh, as far as what the book is about, I think you yeah you, I think you summarized it about as well as we could have because you right, just read right. the publisher summary. So that makes it easier <laughs> right. than coming up with our yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Well, since you brought up like how you how the art jumped out at you, I, I guess that opens us up to another question, which is um, how exactly did this book end up on your radar, Drew? Like, what was your uh, first uh, interaction or impression of this book? Like, what's that story? Let's see. So this book came out in America looks like the publication date is 2019 and i guess at that point we should say that it was translated by helga helge dasher i could be mispronouncing that name so i apologize for that but it was originally published in french in 2011 2013 2016 so i guess it was published in in installments over there and john quarterly published it here in english for us in north america but I think I've typically tried to uh, pay attention to stuff that Drawn and Quarterly published, probably out of the bigger indie publishers. They're the ones I, I pay attention to, along with Fantagraphics. Maybe it's just, I don't know, the literary comic book snob in me. But for the past mm. 18, 20 years or so, Whenever I've looked for more literate comics, those are the two publishers I I tend to gravitate to. Uh, but you know, we're we're living in an era where literate comics are becoming more prevalent. Graphic novels about serious topics and and a variety of genres and stuff uh, are just more available than they were 20 years ago, even. So. With, you know, with that said, uh, I, st I still have affection for Drawn and Quarterly as a publisher. So I think last year, maybe about 
a little less than two years ago was when I first checked this book out of the library. And I think I just checked it out because uh, I f I'm pretty sure it was just because it was a drawn and quarterly book and I hadn't read anything from them that was recent uh, in a while. So I just wanted to see stuff that they had published. And this was one of the things that jumped out at me. So I had to borrow it from the library. I reread it for this podcast episode, but enough time had passed in between my readings of it that reading it this time around still felt kind of fresh, you know? Wait, did you say it'd been a, about a year ago since you read it? Uh, Maybe less than two years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, All I right. remember... I remember. I thought it was way more recent than that. No, I remember where I was when I was reading it because it was when I was taking the bus to work, and I remember uh, reading it over a couple days uh, on the bus. Nice. Yeah, I uh, don't find taking the bus to be a particularly enjoyable experience, but I will say that one of the things I do miss about taking the bus is it gives me time to catch up on my readings. So that is definitely, you know, assuming that you're in a good place and you have a good seat and you're, you know, comfortable and not being harassed by a crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, which, which, it's a good opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of ifs right there. That's a lot of ifs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Fair. Fair. Um, yeah. As for me, uh, I don't, uh, my, my story is a little different than yours in that I'm not quite as, uh, I don't take quite as much initiative as you do when it comes to like seeking out new comics. I think I just, I consider myself a force Gump of sorts in that I just kind of drift through life and, you know, whatever should cross my path. If it just happens to catch my interest just as I happen to be there, then it was meant to be, and it's it's you know, it's a a happy coincidence, right? So, mm -hmm. with me, uh, I wasn't really aware of this book, uh, but we've been going on in stock trades. You know, that's a little plug there, by the way. So, if in stock trades, if you happen to be listening to us, <laughs> give us free comics because this is a plug, and I will do almost anything for free comics, almost anything. <laughs> what's the worst thing that you would do for a free comic uh it'll be bad enough where i probably wouldn't be able to look any future children in the eyes after the fact i see I let see. your imagination take let oh, your my imagine my imagination is taking me places right now yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah so I've been going on in-stock trades a lot lately, uh, you know, just uh, scouring deals mostly. And this was something that caught my eye just because of the art. Like you said, it's it's not it, it's it's definitely got a, a, its own unique style. It's kind of simple, kind of cartoony, but it's a style that appeals to me. And it was enough that it caught my attention and reading through it, you know, uh, finding out that it was this biographical comic about a real historical event. I'm I'm a sucker for those kinds of comics, you know. Like, yeah. uh, I I don't think 
you know, outside of the capes and uh, costumes and, uh, you know, superpowered people's stories, uh, I do. I'm a big history buff. That's I'd say that's probably one of my other interests uh, outside of comics. So um, whenever you get the opportunity to get exposure to a story that gives you uh you know a perspective on a real historical occurrence um that's something that i welcome and uh yeah so i i saw this on sale um you know for a pretty hefty discount in 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 stock trades and i was buying up books and i needed something to get me over that free shipping threshold and i decided you know what this i i know it doesn't this it doesn't <laughs> necessarily paint this in in the best light that i'm basically saying that i just got it because i needed something to get me free shipping but but hey it, it was like i said it's a happy coincidence you know sometimes there are blessings in your life that you're not aware of and uh you i'm just happy that i found it so yeah so yeah i i, I picked up a copy of the book and and on top of that i do remember seeing you post something on instagram about it so i think the combination of my pre-existing interest in it and the fact that you had already mentioned something about it, those two things uh, just solidified my resolve to check it out and read it. And you know, having read it now, I'm I'm glad that I read it. It's it's definitely a book worth reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, unless you have anything else to add, I was going to ask, um, like, are you familiar at all with any of the uh, historical uh, occurrences that surrounded this book? Like, what, what was your pre-existing knowledge prior to entering, prior to reading this book about the subject matter, Drew? Man, honestly, pretty minimal knowledge. I mean, I, of yeah. course, I had heard of the Khmer Rouge and I knew about Pol Pot and the genocide, but I I didn't really know too much, uh, too many details or anything. It's not really something that I remember studying with any depth in school, whether in high school or yeah. in college yeah. at all. It's it's more of like a footnote, I guess, uh, unfortunately. So reading this book did motivate me at least to look them up on, look up the events on Wikipedia and at least do like some cursory, cursory reading. I mean, there's still a lot to read even just on Wikipedia about yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. And And to be honest, I'd probably be more interested in reading a historical book about it than reading a bunch of Wikipedia entries. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, true. I think to be honest, yeah, this is the the thing that has given me the most exposure and illuminated me to those historical events. What about you? Mm. Well, I wanted to address something that you said first. Um when you called it a footnote, it's interesting that you use that term because in history classes, especially here, it really does feel like it's a footnote in the sense that I don't know like what your experience in you know high school history was drew but uh for me i i felt like i spent a lot of the time you know 
learning about American history and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'd probably even say that I spent more time learning about the Civil War uh, and stuff like oh, that, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But in terms of, like, Vietnam... When it comes, when it comes to world history, it, it goes up yeah. to a certain point, right? Like, you learn a lot about European history and you learn about, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the world wars. You learn but... about Romans, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very... Uh, Shall we say uh, Occidental centered? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, suffice it to say, our knowledge of uh, world history tends to revolve around what what did these people in this region do to us, and that's the only time we ever seem to notice or recognize them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe maybe on the off chance of well. What did we want to get from these people and how did we affect that, them moving forward? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but but I was going to say it's interesting that you used the term footnote because, you know, what happened in Cambodia really is something. And, and you know, I'm not uh, uh, an expert at, at, you know, Southeast Asian history, but my understanding of everything that went down there was... Basically, there was the Vietnam War and, you know, there was all the uh, conflicts between the, the, the communist and the, uh, you know, the dictators that were backed by Western governments or what have you. But my understanding of what happened in like Cambodia and Laos was essentially as things got bad in Vietnam, like it, it spread to those regions and destabilized those areas. So it it really was kind of a footnote in in class because we would we didn't even talk about the Vietnam War that much from what I remember when I was in history when I was taking history class and the idea that Cambodia or Laos was even really part of the discussion at most it might have been we might have spent like a paragraph talking about yeah. what happened there yeah you know so. Yeah, uh, like Pol Pot is a famous name that people tend to brandy around because, you know, he's a famous monster. But I, I don't know if you ask people like I'm hard pressed to to imagine that anyone really knows what exactly he did other than, you know, the simplified answer of, you know, he had a regime that ended up killing millions of people, you know, like, yeah, I remember thinking about um, so so. I don't know what it was like for you, but when I was in high school, I actually, middle school and high school, actually, I actually went to school with a lot of Cambodian kids, uh, Cambodian and Laotian kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I don't think we ever like talked about it like a lot, a lot. You know, I was, you know, you're, you're yeah. in school with people. When you're and a little kid. For the most part, you like just... the farthest thing from your mind. Yeah. Well, even when you're in middle school and high school, when you're beginning to develop a sense of like mature maturity or, or like a sense of yourself outside of, Hey, do you like, you know, Pokemon cards or whatever? Um, (laughs) Which is funny because I'm pretty sure you never liked Pokemon cards ever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a funny example. I'm just saying, I just, (laughs) well, I'm just saying like, as a kid, you just, you tend to focus on those sorts of things. Right. But I, I do mm-hmm. remember that there were a couple of programs that I was involved in, like after school clubs and stuff where, like I said, I, I had a decent amount of uh, 
exposure to Cambodian kids. And again, it's not like we ever like explicitly talked about these things. Uh, but I do remember quite a few occasions where, you know, people would tell or, or give like some inkling of what their backstory was. And it all felt like they all had similar backgrounds in that, you know, they, they came from families that had escaped this region because of uh, what the Khmer Rouge had done. And again, as, as a middle school kid, you're not necessarily in this place to, to pry or like delve super deep into someone's like personal life. Um, it's just yeah, kind of invasive, but you know, I, I, I had enough of a sense of what was going on to know that, Oh, this was something that affected quite a few people, but that was pretty much the extent of my knowledge of, of what had gone on there so much. So to the point where I remember literally just a few years ago, uh, thinking to myself just out of the blue, like where I was just kind of uh, pondering about historical events. And I, I think I was going through a phase where I was watching like historical YouTube videos, uh, following various historical YouTube channels. And yeah. I think the thought occurred to me where I was thinking about, you know, what happened in Cambodia. And I was like, wait, how did this end? You know, what, like, how did, you know, Pol Pot fall? How did, you know, the Khmer Rouge come to an end? Like, yeah, like it, it literally was a couple of years ago, like up to that point, I hadn't considered it or thought about it. And like, I found out that it wasn't until the Vietnamese army, uh, you know, invaded Cambodia to bring stability back to the region. Right. So, and, and when I read that, that, that came as a shock to me. I was, again, when we're in history class, we learned that our, our extent of our knowledge of the Vietnam War is we were in there for about a decade, then we pulled out because we lost, and that's it. That's kind of and it. There, there like, were a lot we of really... protests, and it wasn't a good yeah. time for America. Hippies drove us out of Vietnam, apparently. <laughs> Is that what they taught but, you in your at your school? <laughs> <laughs> I was being flippant. <laughs> but yeah, right? So so it just felt like that yeah, once once we pulled out of uh Vietnam, it just it just ends with a period and that's it. That's all that we really talk about. I mean, I guess we talk about like what happens over here in America to you know, the country as it's rebuilding itself in the era after Vietnam, but yeah. we don't talk about what happens over there at all, you know? Yeah. Um, and I do wonder if it, it's any different at schools nowadays, because we were in high school over 20 years ago. So things could be different now. Yeah, I hope so, <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. Like world history is, it's a lot of stuff. And you know, even then, it's not like our. Well, I mean, you went to a different high school than I did, but I, I, I don't think our school had the kind of resources or the manpower to like teach everything to everyone. You know, you just kind of had to pick and choose your battles. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, that was my long-winded way of just kind of going into what I knew about uh the region and you know uh my experience uh going into this before reading the book um yeah so it sounds like 
neither of us knew much about the Cambodian Civil War or the Khmer Rouge and the the Pol Pot regime, other than the you know general basics uh, based on our high school and college education. Yeah. But uh, yeah. did you end up? Did you ever do your own reading? Uh, you know, look at other books outside of school when you know after you were finished with school, where you might have just been interested in educating yourself. Um. Well, like I, I was saying earlier, I, I did go through a period where I was pretty interested in various, you know, historical YouTube channels. And I know, like, just saying that, it, it's already kind of dubious because, you know, <laughs> there's all sorts of YouTube channels that teach all sorts of things. Ask Kanye West. But... <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody um, who watched a lot of YouTube videos and then became convinced that the earth is flat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm There's serious. a lot of that going I'm around. Serious. Oh, you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's, okay. It's, it's pretty hard to have That's a serious good. conversation with her now. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. That's not good at all. Yeah, but as long as you're not watching those YouTube channels, I can get behind you. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, I... I try to um, vet what I'm watching. Um, I do. I do try to be critical to an extent uh, to to whatever I'm taking in, uh, because again, like uh, YouTube, as much as uh, there are reputable channels that do their due diligence. There are just as many channels. I'd even say there are more channels that don't do that same level of, uh, put that same level of effort into vetting whatever information they put out there. So at the end of the day, you know, it's really on us to take responsibility for the information we consume and to not take it on face value. So um, yeah, I do try to, expose myself to uh, uh, different aspects of history, you know, just, just based on the various YouTube channels that I follow. And then I back it up by, you know, to whatever degree that I can, uh, you know, I try to reconcile things uh, to the best of my ability so that they, I, I get the clearest image of what's being represented. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't sense. know. How about how about you? Like, have you have you, I guess, dug in any deeper uh, into the subject since reading this? Admittedly, I have not. I think. Yeah. I I think I would need to do some research on t as to what are some good books to read about Cambodia yeah. uh, in this period of time. Because uh, I, I guess compared to most people, I, I probably don't watch as much YouTube as the average bear. And mm -hmm. uh, as far as uh, books go, some, sometimes I'll go, go through periods where I just like read a ton of stuff. And then sometimes I'll go through periods where I'm just reading a bunch of comics. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think right now, or at least like in the past, year and a half or so i've definitely been in a period where i've mainly just been reading a bunch of comics i i should read more prose yeah, just yeah. to uh 
you know, exercise my mind. And there's, you know, obviously a wider breadth of historical books within prose. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just haven't gotten around to it. But at the very least, I can say that You're the Rabbit was an elucidating book. Yeah. Because I, I felt like it's... it gave me more information through exactly. following this exactly. family's story than everything that I had from high school history classes. Exactly. Exactly. I would say that it's, if anything, it acts as a gateway drug into the subject. And yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, maybe that's not the best uh, uh, comparison uh, or best way to frame it. But uh, I, I, yeah, like it's, it's the thing that opens up our eyes to this bit of history that we were pretty oblivious to prior to reading it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, we, like, we, I we guess might still be ignorant, to... but we're a little less ignorant than we were before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing about our ignorance is we're self-aware and humble about what we don't know. Whereas. Did you uh, just boast as... about being humble? Well, no, it's an admission. <laughs> like, okay, okay. I, I'd so like to think if it's a I'd... fact, then it's not boasting. You're just humble. Yeah, exactly. You're just humble. If I if if I had said I'm the I'm the most humblest person that has ever humbled ever, ain't no other humble like me, then that would have been boasting. Okay, okay. But if you just say it as a matter <laughs> of fact that, yeah, we're humble. Yeah. Then okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Well. I meant that in the sense that we can admit <laughs> that there are things that we don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm just you busting know? your balls. So, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go back to that before I forgot what I was going to say. And we just ended on a note of, yeah, I'm humble. What you going to do about it? <laughs> you know, another person more humble than me. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would like to think that there are things that we don't know, and we can admit that we don't know it, and we're open to enlightening ourselves to to the subject. Whereas, I don't feel that there are too many people that have that. Um, I was gonna say, uh, uh, and and this might be the the easy way out for me, outside of like YouTube, but uh, I don't know. I guess. I guess I could try to look up like documentaries on the subject. I, I feel like there's got to be yeah. a lot of documentaries that cover that entire era. And, and again, maybe that's not quite the same as reading a prose book. It might just be the easy way out for, for me, certainly. But um, yeah, I, I like, I, I feel like we're in the era of documentaries where well, we might be even a little past that era. There was that period of time where every every streaming service had to have its own documentary about something, and like people were just gobbling that stuff up. But mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd Anyways. have to look up what's uh, out there and what's recommended by people that we can trust and respect. Absolutely. Like I, I feel like compared to YouTube, at least documentaries uh, go through the work of uh vetting their information um and, well not not to say that youtube channels don't but 
again, with YouTube, anyone can put anything up. Whereas with uh, a documentary that is produced and put out there, uh, there's a higher likelihood that they put more resources into making it accurate. That's, that's yes, yeah. yeah. I I, I yeah. think the main thing would be to understand who is producing the video, whether it's a YouTube documentary or a yeah, yeah, yeah. quote unquote professional documentary, because there are still that's true documentaries out there that are produced by kooks and people with yeah conspiracy theories and you know just things of that nature. Yeah propaganda Heck, mike lindell mike lindell the my pillow guy is a documentarian technically so my pillow my pillow well i, I don't know what you're you talking about anymore oh um well, now i gotta hear this he, story <laughs> he's a guy who uh who who basically talked about uh how there's all this evidence proving that the 2020 election was stolen so much so that he went to the lengths of you know trying to get all these trying to make documentaries trying to make videos trying to just keep it out there in the world that uh you know he has evidence to prove that the 2020 election was stolen and the thing about this guy is he's um he's a pretty eccentric character who whose whole thing is he he made like millions of dollars um, doing those infomercials for uh, uh, pillows. <laughs> okay. uh, you know that those pillow commercials, the My Pillow. I can't say. Yeah, I can't say I'm familiar with that. I don't think I watch enough infomercials. Okay, well, <laughs> see, even just my description of it just sounds absurd. It's the, there's absurd. a guy. <laughs> There's a guy out there who made a fortune selling these crappy pillows, and then he decided to use that money to create a uh, a documentary and a, a a television network that was completely dedicated to proving that the 2020 election was fraud. It just sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like a fever dream, yeah. and it sounds like a waste of money. Yeah, but it's not my money, so I'm just. I guess I'm content to watch this guy be crazy on <laughs> online on TV. I I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, you want to talk about the book? <laughs> yeah, we should talk about Year of the Rabbit. Yeah. Let's uh how do you want to do this? Do you want to just go into just what our impression of the book is before we break it down or do you want to just break it down and then discuss it as we go? Mm, I can talk a little bit about my impressions of it. I mean, it's similar to what I mentioned earlier, but yeah, the uh, thing that jumps out the most to me in this story is that it's very harrowing. It's just this really desperate story about survival after the Khmer Rouge takes power. Tian Viesna's family is forced to relocate. And what he does in, in the comic is it opens up with the big family tree. So you see all these people 
that he was related to. And not everybody in the family tree survives the next few years. The main characters that the story follows would be his mom and dad. And from there, I guess I'd say they sort of function as our point of view characters. And the author himself does appear in the story, but he's just a baby or he's a toddler throughout the events. And I know that he did a lot of interviews with his his family members. Some of them didn't necessarily want to talk about and relive those events. But I guess he was able to talk with enough of them to put together this story. And it's, yeah, it's harrowing because, number one, you know it's a real thing. You know, it's a story about real people who lived through a really horrible and brutal time. Uh, they lived through a genocide, and you, you kind of see the conditions of the people who uh, were helpless in the power of of the Khmer Rouge. It doesn't get yeah. super graphic or violent or anything, but uh, there are a couple scenes when you know, people get taken out to the to the killing field, and you, you know, you you know that somebody gets clobbered yeah. with a pickaxe and then dumped into a pit and stuff like that. And it's just the kind of uh, world that these people are thrust into because they had to. I guess I think his family is a uh, well. His his father is a doctor, so like all the professional people and. Uh, I guess distinguished members of society essentially they got purged. Moved, yeah, they got purged and moved out into the rural areas because the Cambodian government that took power was trying to turn it into this agrarian socialist society. So yeah, people who who didn't fit they their mold. That people, yeah, 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 exactly. They, everybody would have to get reeducated. They. The, they would take exactly. the little kids and and teach them uh, the ways of their communist ideology and and have them inform and spy on the adults and their parents and you know really indoctrinating them with with uh, terrible ideology while yeah. murdering a bunch of people and you know all the regular people here uh, are are just like doing their best to to survive. And, and it's it's just a lot of harrowing stories about survival. So you you do get mm-hmm. scenes of people toiling away in the fields under the the watchful armed uh, I don't know what you call them uh, soldiers I guess who are just making sure that everybody does what they're supposed to do. It's yeah I, I think the biggest thing that stands out is just how brutal it was. You know like there's a a real sense of fearing for your life as you read this you know you you, you're really put into the shoes of the people who are are suffering uh there's a lot of characters and and like i said he uh viesna uses a a family tree in the beginning of the book to kind of introduce you to everybody but i i I think i felt that there were just so many people that I, i could never figure out exactly who was who other than his parents so i think at some point i just I just kind of uh, gave up trying to figure out exactly 
who everybody was and how they were related. And I was just following along as, as best as I could. But I do think that that sort of chaos and confusion is a feature of the work because this is a super chaotic time and it, it does put you in the, it puts you somewhat in the mentality of the people who are there worrying about all their other family members because they get split apart and they don't know who's alive or how they're doing. And sometimes they'll get news about one of their relatives and, and they'll be relieved that that person seem to survive or they'll get horrible news that that person died in in custody or you know just things like that uh but the the confusion of it and the chaos of it all i do think that it kind of if it definitely fits the tone of the book it it gives you that feel of unease and a feeling of just not knowing what's going to happen next because at any time uh the Khmer Rouge could just pull you aside for, you know, doing something that they deem against the government or whatever and and take you to a, out in the field for re-education, which is basically just your own grave. Yeah, I, I happen to agree with you that I, I had a similar experience in my reading of it in that it's, you know, it being a story that's based in reality and one in which... The way that the people are drawn, uh, I think Tien, uh, you know, does his best to give everyone pretty unique and distinct features. But one, there are just so many people uh, and there's only so many ways that you can draw people differently that it does get overwhelming at times trying to understand who's who. And in addition to that, there's a cultural element to it where there's ways in which family members refer to each other uh, that are specific to that culture and that region. Yeah, and, they have you know, a they, lot they of different honorifics. Exactly, exactly. And they definitely put in a lot of uh, asterisks to remind to and, and notes to let you know what's what, but it's a lot of information to take in and to try to maintain as you're reading this story. So like you, um, I think very early on, I, I, I resided myself. Uh, I, yeah, I, I just put myself in a position where I wasn't going to focus too much on who was who. And really, I was just going to focus on what was happening to these people, right? And just uh, following through that story as I was reading it. And and you're right. Uh, I don't know if it was intended or not, but the 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 chaos of it all uh, does add to the sense that there is a real sense of chaos in this uh, uh, crazy period of time, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other thought that I had was, and, and again, I don't know if this was something that was intentional or not, but uh, one of the things that uh, was an ir uh, uh, one of the things that was a signifier for uh, this regime and and a lot of these communist regimes is the idea of removing that sense of individuality because you know uh, in order for the state to have control there needs to be this sense of uniformity 
so much so that the Khmer Rouge, everyone was dressed in the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone had these black, uh, you know, black shirts, black pants, and um, sandals, and they all had this uh, checkered red and white scarf. Um, so, so you know, by having, and, and they even introduced it's it's like this. 1984 Orwellian exercise where they in, even introduced um, again. I don't know if this was like a cultural something that existed in the in the Cambodian culture before um, the Khmer Rouge took over, or if it was something that was introduced uh, as part of the communist takeover. And it might be an instance where both these things were uh, introduced and they just kind of clashed or. Uh, combined to make it more confusing but uh, you know it felt like I think there was this effort for them to again restructure society in a way where um, there were there were sections in the book where they talked about how they wanted to draw focus uh, like you were talking about with the children they wanted to draw indoctrinate these children by drawing focus away from the conventional family structure and focusing more on the children as um, you know, as wards of well, not wards, but the children as uh, um, they're basically indoctrinated um, at a young age by the Khmer Rouge to develop their revolutionary spirit, so that as exactly. they get older, they will be they look to, you know yeah. loyal servants of Angkor, the state. Yeah, yeah, right. And you know, we see it time and time again where Angkor gets popped up as just this it's almost like big brother where it's just this giant nameless faceless entity that they're constantly talking about and it's 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 almost like this deity that we don't even really have an idea of what it is but we just know that we're supposed to do what it says right yeah so i guess it's the embodiment of their ideology yeah yeah exactly so it really does feel like the fact, and, and again, I don't know if this was something that Tian purposely put in there, but the the fact that all of these people begin to blend together and it gets confusing as us for a reader to figure out who's who, like it all, it, I could envision, um, I could envision an an attempt by Tian to uh, integrate this aspect of uniformity amongst people that's being kind of forced on them so much so to the point where uh again the individuals begin to lose any sense of uh individuality and they begin to blend into this giant monolithic um you know uniform entity right mm-hmm. so yeah i thought that was an interesting uh an interesting observation to make of the book um you know again like i don't really know too much about like what it was like living in a communist state but um you know for them to put this into the book and present it to us it does give us an idea of one like you said the 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 sense of chaos that existed but two also this sense that the traditional communities that were existing are being um, overtaken by the state, by the party, right? And yeah. uh, what it's like for everyone to 
have this sense of f- unity forced on them. So, yeah, yeah. like, uh, like from, I, I from think that about, perspective, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of uh, speaking to what you were saying about uh, removing the or eradicating the traditional idea of family and community and reshaping it into the party. There's a scene in on page 159 where uh, a Khmer Rouge teacher is teaching this group of kids. And th- it, there's a picture of a, a simple stick figure drawing of a family on a blackboard where you have a mom and dad holding hands with their kids. And then mm-hmm. the the kid uh, to demonstrate what is a real family goes up to the board, crosses out the mom and the dad, and then erases the part where the dad is holding the kid's hand. And then the teacher says, we are all one family. Ankar will protect us. It's not up to you. It's not up to your parents to tell you what to do. So it's just like a day in the life of indoctrinating these kids with that kind of uh ideology like even yeah. even later on in in the story you get these scenes of little kids informing on their parents or maybe not necessarily their parents yeah. but spying on other adults there's even a, a moment where uh i guess one of the one of the fathers in the work camp uh, disciplined his son and then one of the Khmer Rouge soldiers makes him get down on his knees and apologize to his son <laughs> like it's yeah, just totally was, backwards yeah what happened was his son was supposed to bring him like food and instead of bringing him the food his son ended up eating the food and you know uh food being so scarce his dad got pissed at him and you know told him off and he ended up going to you know the cadres or whoever was in charge and basically snitched on his own dad and as a result, because, you know, the 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 state is going to take it out on him, they forced him to apologize on the spot uh, to his own kid. And you're right. It's totally messed up. Yeah. Um, it does remind me of stuff that happened in communist China, uh, like during the Great Purges. Like it, I do have a little more familiarity with that history, but. You know, during things like the Great Leap Forward, um, and this is something that we saw in Year of the Rabbit as well, where you were talking about how a lot of the professionals in in the old society, you know, people that were like doctors and lawyers, educated people basically, were yeah. taken to the countryside. But there were scenes where those people were considered regressives because they were taught western western ways western knowledge and instead of being taken into the society to rebuild the new society they were seen as a threat because it was believed that they were infected with western ideology and there was nothing that they could offer to this new society they were building and instead of using them they were just taken away disappeared basically taken away in the middle of the night or taken off with the promise of you know good jobs or whatever and instead they were murdered and were buried in mass graves and that that was something that happened in china too where like when the great leap forward happened what they did was they basically said that all of you know 
all of these old professionals had old thinking that was getting in the way of these new ideas for a better society. So what they would do is they would take all these old people, uh, you know, doctors and learned uh, professionals and scholars, and they would they would basically take them and you know put them in the town square to be uh, shamed, publicly shamed, and you know either beaten or spat upon and just made an, an example of to the rest of society that these are regressives. Mm-hmm. So that that was a pretty uh, like seeing that depicted in the book uh, just kind of solidified in my mind um, what was happening in other areas of the world that were going through similar, um, you know, communist dictatorships. Well, I, I that isn't to say that you know every uh, experience is necessarily exactly the same, but uh, I, I do think that you know when you hear enough of these anecdotes and they're similar enough it it seems to be the trend that that's what they do right yeah exactly exactly a lot of that socialist and communist ideology sounds appealing on the surface but in practice it's always led to a lot of death and suffering yeah yeah and i wanted to go back to like well, I wanted to go into this a little bit. I wanted to talk about the art. And one of the things I did appreciate about the book is the chapter breaks. And I thought those were really interesting because with every chapter break, it gives you some kind of diagram that either details like a map of the region with what's going on or uh, you know, a diagram showing you what something like what the day in a life of a, you know, of one of these um I don't even know what they're called. Are they farmers or like? I'm yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're like conscripted farmers or. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know what the official term for is. Yeah. But, you know, what, what a day in their life is like, you know, and it's, it, it basically details, uh, you know, like 15 hours of work and then, you know, you get rice gruel and then you, ha- you spend two hours in these meetings where you either report on each other or you report on yourself and where you're talking about communist ideology, things like that, you know, and it's, it's a lot of pretty interesting um, added information that I really did appreciate um, that they included these things in, in the book. Um, it's like his version of Hickman's data pages. <laughs> kind of, right? Like it's yeah. it's simplified, but it's it's a it's a good touch. It's like I'm looking at one on page 170, and this is one that detail. It's it says Ankar. It shows Ankar as this giant all-seeing eye. And it looks like Shumagorath. Yeah, yeah. And then beneath it, it shows basically all of the the structure of chart. the government and the party yeah it's an org chart exactly and and it shows like what what families look like in this in in their new utopian perfect society and yeah it's just details like this that help to make it more digestible you know yeah, it gives you it makes a, it... A, a better understanding of the wider context cuz the story is actually pretty personal as we follow uh Tian Viesna's parents so getting this added context helps us see the wider situation and 
additional context into the ideology that they were being fed and the, you know, yeah. like you said, schedules and uh, practical things like maps and diagrams so that you have a sense of place. Yeah. There was one other diagram that I, I thinking back that I did enjoy, which was, and I forget what page it's on, but it was basically a list of things that would get you in trouble in uh, page 220 or, or get you pulled aside right so it page was like oh if you have a, a lighter how to look like an how to look like a hidden enemy of ankar so like one of the things yeah. is hesitate when asked about the, the past <laughs> or second yeah appear elegant or distinguished or if you yeah. display or ignorance if you know about rural work foreign words <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Not having calluses things like that um the one that I was thinking of was actually one where, again, it's it's a different page actually, but it was like, it was a detailed list of things that you could have on you, right? So if you, ha I forget exactly what's on it, but one of the, the ones that jumped out at me was if you Are have you a lighter. Page 188? That, maybe, uh, but Personal if you belongings? have like, a, no, 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 it's, it's a different page. Uh, I, I'd have to look for it, but... It was saying things like, oh, if you have a lighter, then that's, it's it's almost like a symbol of Western decadence that you have it, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I think things like nice clothes were, were another example. Uh, oh, wait, I think it's 110. To avoid trouble with the Khmer Rouge, avoid carrying the following. Firearms, yeah. military canteen, photos watch id diploma eyeglasses eyeglasses, eyeglasses. Like, how are you supposed to see radio <laughs> yeah uh military uniform from the former regime passport lighter books you know it says something that books is on that list yeah you know this idea that oh if you're well read if you're educated yeah because that's always a good sign for a society <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh. Yeah, but it's it's there's a whole bunch of stuff like that in the chapter breaks that I really did appreciate. Yeah, those are pretty yeah. uh, enlightening bits of information. Yeah. I got a question for you, Drew. Yeah. Um, so I talked about it a little bit, but what did you think of the art? Like, how would you describe it? And like, what? how would you describe its effectiveness or lack thereof in storytelling i think his art is easy to read it's very easy to follow one of the things that jumps out the most to me is his penchant for backgrounds and and scenery like if he were drawing any other kind of story a lot of this scenery would be almost pastoral mm. like there's a lot of there's actually like a good amount of natural beauty uh, in the land itself. It's just that the things that people are doing are what makes it awful. But in terms of just yeah. depicting the landscapes and the backgrounds, it does make it look, he does make Cambodia look very appealing. And I think his his backgrounds just do so much in terms of making you feel like you're in this place that just deserves better, you know? 
Yeah, that's a that's a tragically sad way to put it, but it's accurate, <laughs> you know. Like if this had been a travel log or something like that, it it's the kind of place where people might consider it like a tropical paradise or something like that, you know. Yeah, exactly. Under different circumstances under different conditions, but because of the way that things ended because of how they treat each other it just ended up becoming a place that was just for the better lack of a word hell on earth yeah um, and yeah and it's like you said a lot of the art doesn't necessarily depict the violence in an overwhelming grotesque way well it's it's obvious that cruelty exists there and that there's pain and suffering but I, I still think it's effective without having to show you everything in all of its, you know, uh, uh, audacious, grotesque, grotesqueness. Exactly. It's a yeah. great example of how some restraint goes a long way because it, mm. in some sense, by not depicting the full brunt of the violence and or the gore, really, you know, just the the really disturbing stuff keeping that kind of off screen for the most part and leaving it to our imaginations it's enough you know it, it's already yeah chilling enough the book is already chilling the book already gives you a sense of feeling the desperation of yeah the people so it's not there's really no need to fetishize it <laughs> exactly you know yeah there's no real need to go to all the extra work of drawing gore and things like that even though i'm pretty sure there was a lot of that in real life yeah and and you know likewise i do even think that there's restraint in telling us about like the atrocities that took place i i did remember watching a video about uh yeah about one of the prison camps in in cambodia under the khmer rouge and you know, uh, the the kind of things that you would expect to happen at a place like that did happen, but Tian doesn't necessarily feel the need to even explicitly say it. It's yeah. it's it's almost known, right? It's almost to be expected. And again, it, it's it there isn't this sense that it's turning it into you know tragedy porn or anything yeah where there's no risk of this. him glorifying something like that yeah yeah and it's it's just enough to to i guess treat it with respect and for us to feel the breath of what's going on without uh the temptation to turn it into well you know entertainment right yeah yeah Another thing about his drawing style is that uh, I feel like his people look pretty simple. Like the way that he draws, they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily like photorealistic, but he is able to capture people's likenesses maybe by uh, just, a, you know, giving people different uh, facial structures and, and different body shapes and things like that. You know, they're not necessarily uh, drawn, like, with the most, I guess, 
I guess aesthetically, they're not like the most exciting looking figures like in and of themselves, but certainly within the framework of the story he's telling, they more than get the job done. And and that's, to me, that's more important, you know, like being able to tell a yeah. story with art. That's yeah. when you're talking about comics, that's the more important thing. And then aesthetics Absolutely. are pretty much secondary to me. Like yeah. it, it doesn't have yeah, to look I, like a, a poster or something or you know like a like a Jim Lee drawing where yeah. everyone's super idealized or whatever you know uh this this isn't that kind of drawing style but his his drawing is really clear in terms of its layouts and uh his compositions and his storytelling the coloring choices are pretty interesting too there's a lot of I'm not even sure what kind of shade of green it's called but there's just like a bunch of different shades of green and and browns like there's an earthy tone to to it all uh, even even like the sky sometimes uh looks kind of like this uh i guess a bluish greenish kind of color i don't really know uh exactly what shade that is but it's it's interesting man it's very moody it's it's not uh it's not always like the most uh, photorealistic kind of look or anything, but it's it's convincing enough to give you a good sense of time and place. But on top of that, it's also adding a lot of mood and texture to the art itself, and and that's what works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'd agree. I feel like with comics, a lot of the times there are there are people that we tend to share the fandom with who tend to focus a lot on the art. And and these are even people that I know where it feels like, how can you enjoy that? Like, I, I want to see, you know, people with big muscles. I want to, the, the Grecian, Greek and Grecian ideal, whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I want everything to look like, like you said, like a Jim Lee or like a Rob Liefeld. I just, I, I want it to be purely alpha energy and this <laughs> really that, you know, it's, it's, it's very, I, I've, I've used this before, but it is deceptively simple where on the surface, it looks like it's, it's got a sketchy quality to it and it's almost cartoony, but at the same time, uh, the storytelling is effective. And even though the people all have their, uh, unique distinguishing features um it is like i said earlier there's only so many different ways that you can draw them and it does get kind of hard to tell like associate the names with people but at the same time he still is able to draw each of them in a way that where they are distinct and yeah. they do have character so and and that's a talent in it of itself yeah it seems like he prefers using a lot of thin lines mm-hmm. and a lot of thin and even lines. So there's definitely a distinct style to it where he'll draw a face and just adding a, a single line by the mouth gives you a sense of the person's facial structure or like how it, his face looks when he's speaking. Uh, but then every so often you'll also get some drawings where... Uh, somebody's head looks like it might be a little too big for his body or uh, 
just the way it's positioned looks kind of odd. Like I'm I'm looking yeah. Uh, just flipping through the book, like I'm looking at page 67 and panel three of 67 where there's a guy uh, squatting at a tree and then his friend is standing up, uh, leaning against the tree. But the guy who's standing up, leaning against the tree, the way that his head yeah. is placed on his body looks kind of odd to me. Yeah. Uh, then when you flip like the page. coming out of his chest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you flip the page to page 68, that first panel, uh, I can't tell which direction that guy's uh body <laughs> right, space right. the guy who's saying i don't know yeah. uh, my car but you know yeah. those are little things where i think i only really notice them because i'm looking at the comic trying to figure out the craft of it you know but if i'm just reading it and absorbing the story it's not really gonna bother me that much but i'm, I'm sure like any other artist i'm sure that that uh he'll look at his work and and think that there are drawings that he could do better now um i don't know if, yeah you know i'm not saying that he thinks that about those specific panels i pointed out but i'm just saying that you know art is something that just it's that's just how it is man like time is the yeah. enemy of art right like the, the closer that you get to finishing your art the more compromised it becomes uh and I, i've heard yeah. Yeah. artists say that so uh, that, that's just how it is but for the most part his drawings yeah. are are pretty great, especially when he decides to do a lot of cross hatching and, and shading, uh, like during some some of the night scenes, or even looking at the details uh, on on the huts. I'm not sure uh, what you call that material, but like the 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 Isn't walls. Is it like terracotta uh, or clay? No, or, not well, clay, oh. but like look look for example oh, okay, on, okay, okay. at page uh, 103, like those buildings where they're okay. living um like in the second panel and third panel on page 103 like the sides of those huts right um just the okay, shading okay. on those is, is pretty detailed or uh yeah. the 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 rainstorm on page pages uh 112 and 113 like that's that's really good drawing there like it, I, I really like stuff like that where there's just a bunch of lines like that to indicate the chaos of the wind and the and the weather and all the stuff that they're going through uh, on a physical level, but it also, I feel like it also communicates a lot on an emotional level too, just through the art. And it's a scene where there's not too much dialogue, but I feel like through the facial expressions of the characters, their posture, and just the way that he draws the and colors the, the clothes as they get muddy and, and wet, it communicates... A whole lot you know it's it's really well done yeah 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 and you know to to what you were saying about the imperfections of his art like again i've got friends that'll probably complain about those things but i do think that the aspirational nature of of his work the the um the actual attempt at you know uh, uh, the larger idea of what art is as opposed to, you know, drawing a thing that looks as close as possible or the best version of drawing a thing that looks like another thing, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the artistic expression of, of the work itself, like I value that more than accuracy of, of whatever they're drawing. Right? Yeah, I agree. Like, I, agree. I, I don't, I don't think 
I like I was looking at those same images that you were describing and it's not yeah it's not perfect but when you look at it in the context of the work as a whole like I don't I don't think that those few pages or scenes or you know however many there are like I don't think that it drags down the overall value of the work because once you finish reading it um what it has to say and what it's communicating and what it's about is is far it means far more to me than a cover by Jim Lee where you know <laughs> the Justice League are flying out at you and isn't that cool you know right right so, yeah I just I hate my friends <laughs> <laughs> i hate my friends sometimes uh you think your friends to this episode uh i don't know there's a chance i mean this this isn't an episode about uh naruto or um you know venom so probably not <laughs> have we ever done an episode about naruto naruto or venom <laughs> uh we almost did that one shonen episode where that's true i think naruto was was on there yeah and according to our spotify rap stats that shonen episode was our most listened to episode this year so uh you know hit us up on between the gutters uh podcast <laughs> at gmail.com or on our instagram if you want us to talk about naruto the <laughs> raddest anime that ever was <laughs> Or still is <laughs> Bleach, or Jujutsu Kaisen. What Chainsaw else? Chainsaw Man. Uh, Chains. <laughs> well, we we did cover Chainsaw Man. Yeah. Uh, My Hero Academia. Uh, what else? You name it. You name whatever commonplace drivel is out there, and we can talk about it. There, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is yeah. some comfort in knowing that. I'm sure I'm skeptical that hardcore shonen fans are listening to this specific episode so they're not going to rise up in arms and rail yeah. us for mocking what they love. We uh we 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 watched a uh, a trailer for an anime today where all these girls had big wobbledy wobbledy boobies, bobbledy boobs and <laughs> uh I don't know why I brought that up other than it just made me laugh inside, but <laughs> but I have a feeling that, that that is the kind of material that would get more likes than something like this, which is, which has substantially more artistic merit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Man. You know, if we, if we put that up there, um, you know, if we, if we did uh, an Instagram post where we showed that trailer and we said, Hey guys, we're going to talk about this anime where this dude's in a harem and which girls he going to end up with. Um, there's, there's a chance we'll get way more <laughs> likes and views uh, on that episode than we would on, you know, uh, a comic that discusses the tragedy of the uh, Camille Rouge. Yeah. Yeah. I hate people. <laughs> so you graduated from just hating your friends to hating all people in general. <laughs> I'm constantly evolving, Drew. <laughs> You're like a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You want to talk about uh, any of the themes and uh, concepts that you saw, you know, uh, coming up within the the series or in, in the comic? 
I'd say the theme that jumped out to me the most was the theme of survival. Well, I guess it's a couple of themes. It's not just survival, but also family and community. I think those are the biggest ideas in the story, the biggest themes. And and that's the thing that those are the things that kind of uh, I was able to grasp onto. And that's what carried me through the this harrowing journey yeah it was the theme of family and the theme of survival because you do get a strong sense of how important family is in these hard times even when even as the regime is trying to split apart the family people yeah. People aren't going to just suddenly be like, okay, I don't need my family anymore because I've got this government who's watching out for me. And obviously the government yeah, the isn't actually is watching out for me. Yeah, the state is my family now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I don't, it's hard to believe that that people are going to, that a, grown adults are going to suddenly uh, embrace that when they've already lived, you know, they're, they're accustomed to living a certain way. So yeah. it, it's... It just shows it's you not how the type much of transition that just takes place overnight. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. it's probably not even a transition that could ever really take place, you know, like Yeah. It's it's pretty clear that taking away or splitting apart your family and then murdering members of your family, it's not going to make you get closer to the state. It's going to just make you resentful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the whole just act of terrorism where you know, you know, ship up or shape out or shape up or ship out, right? That that mm-hmm. whole idea where, well, if you're not going to buy into this ideology, then you're regressive and we we don't have, uh, you know, room for regressives in our state, right? Because you're just hindering us. And that's no real ideology. That's no real way to look at uh, uh, life um, or society. And, and it's interesting that, uh, you know, you talk about like family and survival as one of the themes. Uh, one of the other themes that I felt was um, prevalent in the the comic was just this idea of community. Because here we have this uh, environment where the state is trying to replace conventional, traditional communities with this state-imposed version of community, right? Where the state mm-hmm. and Angkor is at the center of it all and as long as we're all working towards that goal as long as that's what we're looking at then um that is how we progress as a society but time and time again within the story you see them moving from one location to another or dealing with one set of circumstances and in under those uh tough conditions it is the generosity and help of people within the community that help them to uh uh survive this ordeal yeah and, yeah it, you know it, it, i feel like that says a lot because there's still so much in the story about being suspicious of other people who aren't directly related uh-huh, to you uh-huh. and yeah you have this sense of paranoia where uh even as yeah. who's gonna as, report uh, me or who's gonna snitch yeah on me? exactly exactly he's gonna yeah. inform on me and then uh, they'll yeah. know that I'm trying to get out of here or trying to escape, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And you follow along uh, the father, uh, Kim, 
and you just see like from his point of view how like the things that he's the the vulnerable positions that he puts him in that he puts yeah. himself in yeah. in terms of trusting people just so he can have a chance of saving his family yeah. you know like there's there's an alternate story out there somewhere where you know the trust that he puts in these people ends up being the cause of a tragedy to them right so yeah. there's like the scene where they're out there and they're trying to escape uh cambodia and they they completely entrust themselves to these smugglers who under most circumstances uh are likely to rob or murder you, these people and you know what ends up happening is they 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 pull through for them and, and yeah. you know maybe that's not necessarily the best lesson for everybody where where I, I wouldn't necessarily say to everyone hey you should put your faith in smugglers because they're likely to do you right <laughs> but but when you're desperate I, I, man you got no other choice yeah exactly and I, it, I'm it was better it was better it odds. Out for them yeah i mean it was it was also better for the family uh from from kim's point of view to yeah, actually put his trust in these smugglers than to continue living the way that they've been living because that wasn't gonna yeah like what they weren't gonna survive have, much right? longer doing that yeah they they had to get and, away and from the regime exactly and now that we're talking about it it does feel like it's a story that's ultimately hopeful and optimistic uh, about you know uh um surviving and uh overcoming these this 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 terrible thing that was happening to them so so yeah yeah i i do think that i think we're we're accustomed to these sort of tragic stories and and it's not that there wasn't any tragedy in this story there obviously was but um but it was good to see uh uh a story where you know it's not always about just how ugly humanity is or the cruelty in all of humanity and and something that reminds us that under these conditions there is like some under dire times and uh desperate times uh, uh there are people that do help you and that can help you when you need it the most mhm mhm mm yeah um yeah there's even uh the ending uh, there's like a little epilogue at the very end of it uh that covers 1980 and beyond so uh it's it's essentially a couple of scenes of the author uh, you know talking with his family and kind of giving a little bit of context to how he got some of these histories and uh what some of the family members are up to in the present day and it yeah it's clear that there are some relatives that weren't able to relive and talk about these events. And then like even his mother uh, couldn't really read his work because I don't know. Uh, I mean, she doesn't she exactly. Traumatized. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't exactly say, but that's kind of the sense or impression that we're left. It with. wasn't a period in time that she wanted to really revisit because it was just so trying on, on, on her spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that totally makes sense um you know these these were terrible times for people um yeah 
Um, I do think that one of the things that caught my attention about the book, and I don't know if it's necessarily a theme, but was, I guess, just how the communist state works, uh, just kind of the the day-to-day uh, goings-on and, and living conditions and uh, mindsets of people within this communist dictatorship and just um, an examination of what their lives were like, uh, it being such a foreign uh, experience to me, um, those were those were interesting anecdotes for me to consume just to give me an idea of what these people went through, um, you know, just in terms of their daily work routines, in terms of uh, the kinds of uh, tribulations that they had to face on a regular basis. Uh, so I, that was something that mm-hmm. jumped out to me as, as, as uh, a subject of, of this book. Uh, Outside of the, you know, the the themes of family and community and the emotional stuff, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think as an overall piece of work, there's something notable about it in terms of how it's able to take this major event in world history, the genocide, but he tells this really personalized type of story about his family and it's in in a way it's almost like a slice of life story about his family except the slice of life that they had to live through was one of the most brutal things that anyone could ever imagine but there's just so much time that that you spend uh with them especially with his parents in the story seeing their daily activities and getting into their heads a bit uh learning about how cruel and evil the regime was like you you really get the sense of time and place the story is really effective in terms of helping you build empathy i think and and i think that's why a comic like this is important and i think it's why people should read stuff like this because it's the kind of thing that will help you understand the suffering that some people had to undergo and the things that they survived it's like if everybody if everybody um just learned more about these kind of things more aware more aware of it they could be more compassionate to one another exactly exactly yeah Yeah, that's exactly what i was going for yeah no that makes sense i i totally agree with that it's interesting that for a book that's about this very specific um, incident in time. Um, It's obviously not something that portrays the Khmer Rouge as a good thing um, or even communism as a good thing, but it it doesn't really necessarily feel like the, the players involved in the story are necessarily political i mean there there are obviously characters in it that show some affinity to to communism and the hype of it in the moment as they you know overthrow the 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 previous regime but 
overall you get the sense that the characters are all just kind of apolitical uh entities we're just trying to survive and live their lives you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's not something that explicitly goes out and says rah 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 communism's bad and you know this other thing is good or whatever right it it's and and i do think that's an it's an interesting take it's an interesting way to present this story yeah yeah, yeah. I, I feel like there isn't a whole lot of time spent discussing or dissecting the communist ideology of the Khmer Rouge. Heck, Mm -hmm, I don't even mm -hmm. think there's too much mention of Pol Pot. Like he might've, his name might've been mentioned maybe once in the whole book. It's it's really, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really more just about his family's experience, but every, all this other historical stuff is the backdrop. And I think, as a reader, you know, we should just educate ourselves as to the details of those things. It really makes it feel like, although this was the backdrop was this giant historical event, it's, it's really, it really is this personal story. Right. And and it's not necessarily focused on, you know, again, making a statement, a political statement at that, because, Mm -hmm the focus of it is really just uh, the the people that we lost and this tragedy that we collectively went through as a society. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you got any other? I was going to oh, go ask it, um, if you know why this book's title is year of the rabbit. Is it just because 1975 is the year of the rabbit? That's a good question. <laughs> like, I guess I was so, engrossed in the reading of it that it didn't dawn on me to ask that <laughs> i guess <laughs> i guess that makes sense i mean if that was the year that kicked off this yeah. whole entire thing um, yeah i had to look it, it was up a pretty monumental yeah, event yeah, yeah 1975 was the year of the rabbit that's the, that's the only reason i can think of as to why it's the title i'm not sure yeah, if there's but, a any deeper symbolic uh, meaning to it that's something that I'd probably have to dive deeper into um, in terms of just like mythology and symbology or something like that. But I, uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting question that you proposed. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. have to, I'd have to ponder that further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got anything else in terms of themes? Not really. I think those w- Themes of family and survival were the two ones that really jumped out to me and probably would leave, will leave the most lasting resonance. Because even the first yeah. time I read it, I think those were the things that stood out to me. Like I had forgotten quite a few of the details in terms of the story, but as far as what I felt reading it that first time, that was still with me you know, 18 months or however many months it's been since the first time I read it. Yeah. yeah. And I have a feeling that those are still going to be the themes that I'll associate with the story uh, moving forward. Yeah. And those are definitely good things, good takeaways to have. Um, You know, we should be so fortunate to to read any comics that uh, leave us with that sensation 
uh, uh, to ponder when we're done. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel the same about it. Did you have your final word on Year of the Rabbit? Yeah, uh, without, uh, you know, restating everything that we've gone through, I, I guess in summation, I just say that it's a it's it's a powerful you know deeply personal story from um the author uh tian uh venicia and um you know i i highly recommend it and it's like you said earlier it's it's a, the kind of work that makes you contemplate um you know just empathy and probably helps you to be more empathetic towards people as a whole uh just in just understanding you know what it means to deal with tragedy and what it means to rely on a community you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and so these are it's a it's a good book it's it's a great book and i i gladly recommend it yeah 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 definitely a great piece of work something that deserves wider recognition and should be read if, yeah. if only for its educational purposes you know but i i do think that it's something that will resonate emotionally and engage a person's yeah. heart you know like this is it's it's a biographical kind of story but it's it's very artistically rendered and i, I think it's the kind of story that will impact a person who has an open mind, you yeah. know, and, and just bringing attention to a genocide that I, I think a lot of people in the world don't really think of when they think of genocides. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll get on the soap, soapbox a little bit here, but get on your soapbox. You know, <laughs> uh, I I do think that I I do think that there are people in different parts of the country who um look at a lot of refugees that come over and you know they they view them with like suspicion or derision and you know without any of the real historical context behind everything right and it's there's always especially during the time of the vietnam war when um and i guess now in the post iraq era we're we're seeing that with you know, Iraqis too, where we went into that country, uh, destabilized it. You know, whether we were trying to, whether we were right or wrong in going into these countries to to do whatever we were going to do, like the, the fact of the matter is there were people that um, chose to ally with us and relied on us. And when we left those countries, um, mm-hmm. you know, they they knew that being left there would be a death sentence for them so you know we as a government did our best to take refugees in to take people out of there because you know they'd be viewed as collaborators otherwise right and it's the least that we can do for these people and when these people come over here again um without that context or maybe either by accident or by design uh you know there are people that don't want to consider these things because they just don't want you know people that don't like look like them in you know their neighborhood or whatever um you know understand that again these people were living in this country and they sided with the americans 
on on something that ultimately cost them and to stay there would would be uh, uh like i said a death sentence for them so it's it's the t- this is the type of comic and story that uh sheds a little bit of light on that and might give you a little bit of context to just what these people were going through and just how horrible life was in in these areas yeah and, it, it might give somebody a greater sense of empathy for refugees i would hope so <laughs> i would like to think <laughs> yeah, so yeah i would hope so yeah yeah but uh, yeah I, well i won't get into uh my my thoughts on people but yeah we <laughs> <laughs> just know you that you hate them that's enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly you want to go into recommendations sure man what do you got well one of the things the comics that jumped out at me was uh or one of the things about this comic as i mentioned was that it's a comic that really focuses on the this structure and of of communism and just what it's like for individuals to live under this draconian state and how that mindset develops so i really it made me think of a book called pyongyang a journey in north korea by guy delesi de leslie i i don't know how to pronounce it but the thing about it is this is a comic uh about a young man about himself it's it's autobiographical where he goes to north korea to work on animation over there and it's about the observations he makes about the people that live in this region uh under the thumb of this communist state and just how that shapes them so um it's it's another comic that gives you insight into what this society is like and you know as some as someone who again where this is a completely foreign concept to them it's it's uh it's informative yeah mm-hmm. you got something yeah, guy delisley does a lot of interesting like non-fictional comics i haven't read pyongyang but that is something that looks uh like a pretty worthy read yeah let me know if you ever want to check it out i got a copy Oh, nice, nice. Found it at the Apple, four bucks. <laughs> oh, that's a steal, Maybe man. <laughs> totally, totally. One of my recommendations is something that I think I have actually recommended in one of our other episodes, but it's a comic called The Best We Could Do by T. Bui. And this is a comic that was published by Abrams Comic Arts. It's about, it's a, non-fictional uh memoir about T. Bui and her her parents her family's journey from vietnam in the aftermath or not i don't even know if it's the after but during the fall of south vietnam her her family had to escape and they were refugees and she she lives in the bay area now i i follow her on our Instagram account. I think she. I don't remember what city, but I think she's somewhere in the East Bay. Mm. But so she's someone who's who's local as well. And uh, her her comic is. It was actually a San Francisco Library uh, featured book at some point a few years ago. I I don't remember yeah, yeah. like what the official title was, but I, I'm pretty I sure that's how. One I, city, one book. One city, one book. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty sure that's how I noticed it in the first place because 
it had a pretty good cover and it just jumped out at me and I was like, oh, I got to check this out. And then I ended up reading it and I uh, ended up buying my own copy. But it's, oh, yeah, nice. it's a, you know, you got a copy. Yeah, awesome. yeah. It, it had a big impact on me. Like the art's really beautiful, great brushwork and, and coloring in it. But it's it's just a really emotional story as well about her family being uh, war refugees from Vietnam and just the difficulties and, and the struggles that they had to face as they uh, came to America and, and had to build their lives over. It's uh mm, yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's pretty heavy. And I, I think it also has that kind of harrowing feel that year the rabbit has, but there's also something uplifting about it. Like it's another book that I would definitely recommend to everybody, like regardless of what your tastes in reading material are, I would recommend the best we could do by T. Bowie. Nice. Because it's an nice. important piece of work. Nice. Yeah, I. Uh, you're right about the cover. That that cover always did catch my eye, so it's always been on my radar to read. But I just have yet to get to it. But. Well, I have a copy of it. If you want to borrow, it. <laughs> we could do a hostage exchange, man. There we go. Let's there we go. For <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, the next book that I'd recommend is uh, this is something that I believe we've mentioned on the podcast. Well, we definitely talked about it before. Uh, I believe we did an episode on it, but you know I don't mind recommending it again because it is a good book. And it's they called us Enemy by George Takai, uh, Justin Isinger, Stephen Scott, and Harmony Becker, and it's another autobiographical comic uh, based on the life of George Takai. Uh, or Takei, I I don't know what his preferred pronunciation is, but I think it's um, Takei. Okay, uh, George Takei, and uh, you know it's just about his family as they deal with World War II and what it was like as a little boy going into an internment camp and just his life within the confines of this camp and moving forward into ultimately into his adult years, but, you know, it's just a, a telling of these events that p- were pivotal to, to shaping his life. And, and I do think it's another uh, comic that does a good job of just informing us and about this moment in history and putting a personal touch to it so that we as readers can, you know, identify with it more and, and understand better uh, what was going on at the time and yeah it's it's definitely uh if if you're into uh year of the rabbit then i i think that as a work it it strikes similar chords yeah i did read that one too i borrowed that from the library at some point when it came out and i was pretty impressed by it yeah yeah my last recommendation is another drawn and quarterly book and the title is grass and it's a korean comic by kim suk gendry kim she's uh she does this story about uh i guess i would say it's about the the life story of a korean girl who survived uh sexual slavery for the Japanese army during World War II, which is a, a pretty 
heavy subject also it's it's very harrowing it's very brutal it's depicted in a way that doesn't really pull any punches and it's it's just it's super scary it's super heartbreaking uh but again it, it's it's a book with a really powerful anti-war message covering a topic that is very controversial in certain parts of the world you know like because I, I think I th- I'm pretty sure uh, Japan has certain I don't think they've apologized or acknowledged that they've yeah. done that about those um, Korean sexual slaves so whenever it comes up um, like they tend to get pretty defensive about the yeah, topic. yeah yeah it's one of those situations yeah yeah and I think maybe as a result of that this is another dark corner of history that doesn't get illuminated very often so maybe people aren't as aware of it as as they could be but yeah it's a powerful comic really heavy brushwork that captures the the brutality of the things that you're reading about it's it's a story that where the creator she inter- interviewed uh the main subject of the story so again it, it's like pr- pretty much based on reality here you, you know you're reading a biographical story about someone who survived as a child sex slave and has you know been able to look back upon her life and the things that she had to endure it's very heavy but definitely something that needs to be read i would say mm-hmm. well thank you for that uh recommendation i i feel like i've seen that cover before but i really i'm not familiar with it beyond that so you know hearing uh your your detailed uh, description of it does uh i guess it's weird to say this but it does uh, give me an interest in it um yeah you know again just as 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 a means of understanding um history uh there's which there's absolutely value for um you know because these are things that people actually did to one another and you know it's it's not something that we could or should ignore yeah definitely Uh, all right well if you don't have anything else i would say if anyone's got any questions about any of the things that we read or recommended today feel free to hit us up on between the gutters podcast at gmail.com you can hit us up on our instagram at between the gutters you know or you can tweet at us if you have your own recommendations we'd love to hear that as well anything to expand our knowledge of comics and we we do hope that this is something that you guys take to heart and expands your knowledge of comics as well if you can give us a high rating on whatever you happen to be listening to us on whatever platform you happen to happen to be listening to us on we appreciate that greatly all right everybody this is between the gutters episode 151 year of the rabbit thanks for listening we'll catch you next time peace Bye, everyone.